everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jeff. Joining me, as always, from the uh, northern part of, uh, of the Pacific Northwest, I guess not really that northern, but my co-host, Mark A. Johnson. Mark, how you doing? Hey, Jeff. Good to be here. I'm excited to be back. I've got some stuff to talk about. Uh, we got baseball season in full motion, and, and I'm, I'm watching two games at a time. It's the best part of the year. Uh, as Mark said, probably watch a lot of baseball. We got a lot of things to talk about, including a couple of notes from last week, things we talked about that we, we need to update this week. Uh, and we're going to do all of this uh, as well as talk about a non-perfect, perfect game kind of thing. A little bit later, mm -hmm. we've got uh, Wax Packs Heroes, of course, coming up at the end of the episode. But right now we want to get loose and uh, we want to take a couple of we want somebody to groove us a couple of fastballs so that we can get warmed up here. So all that said, it's time for BP. We had a big day in baseball uh, about a week and a half ago, well, a week ago that had nothing to do with anything on the field. It was March 7th. I am really disappointed that there was no movies premiering on March 7th, which I think was like a Tuesday or something. But the reason I say that is because March 7th is the king of all days for baseball-related movies to be released. Oh, nice. So in 1976, on March 7th, The Bad News Bears premiered, like the, the original, the good one. Yes, yes. Then March 7th, 1989, Major League premiered. We might have talked about that one or quoted that one a couple of times. And uh, then on March 7th, 1993, one of the, if not the best baseball movies ever premiered, The Sandlot. Hand over heart, my friend. The Sandlot. Yeah. Legendary. Wendy Peffercorn. Wendy Peffercorn. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, no, just a great, that's just such a great movie. Base, not even if, even if you don't like baseball, that's a great movie. I'm waiting for the next great baseball movie. I mean, Trouble with the Curve almost itched, you know, scratched that itch, but no. Waiting mm -hmm. for waiting for another good one to come out. I don't know when that's... I don't even think there are any in production. Yeah, I haven't heard of any either, but I, like you, I love baseball movies, so I'm hoping so. Um, some other social media news from this past week. And this was really awesome. I'm not sure if you saw this, Mark, and I'll, I will throw a link into uh, the show notes to a Twitter feed with this. This is actually a TikTok video that, uh, at least on my timeline, was all over the place last week, where this, uh, this talented singer, baseball fan, wrote a TikTok song about Rube Waddell. No way. Yeah. It <laughs> talked about fire trucks dogs oh yeah you know all the all the great things that we talked about when you covered Rube Waddell and put it into a catchy song and it went viral and it's great that uh, if you don't get your baseball history from us you get it from somewhere at least that's right who knows maybe someone will do a google search for for Rube Waddell and our, our podcast will come up and if that's you hello welcome <laughs> we've talked about Rube many times so that was I thought it was pretty cool too Rube was an individual baby he was uh, one of a kind he definitely was uh, an individual, yeah. So I wanted to not so much circle back. I'm not going to play the song this week. But uh, two things we talked about last week that we need to update. Well, at least well, I guess one thing and then, and then one thing that's new. So uh, so last week we talked about Tim LaCastro of the D-backs and his stolen base prowess when he does go. Not doesn't, doesn't run a lot. But uh, he last week he had tied the record for consecutive successful stolen bases to start a career. Well, he has since broken it in the past week. He stole number 28. Wow. 28 stolen bases to start his career without getting caught. That broke the mark that, as we said last week, was he, well, he at that point shared with Hall of Famer Tim Raines at 27. Records, it says, have only been kept about consecutive successful attempts since 1951. I wonder if gotcha. you put, like, I wonder if you could dive into cool Papa Bell or, you know, some of those speedsters from the Negro leagues. What oh yeah. Their mark would have, I guarantee you it's got to, it would probably be something insane, like 50 or 60. Probably. Boy, that would be a lot of fun if, if those records could be found and calculated, but yeah, no kidding. Uh, another something historic happened in the past week. So we need to talk about it because it's something that'll be talked about for quite a while, especially for Padre fans, because they finally got their first no-hitter in franchise history. San Diego native Joe Musgrove 
Yes, I was so happy for the franchise. Yeah, I mean, I remember, well, I remember the Mets. The Mets didn't have one for quite a while. I think they were the, the, other, the other team that didn't have one for quite a while. But what is really of note here is who caught the no-hitter. It was Victor Caratini. And what makes it so odd that he caught this one is he caught the last no-hitter of last season as well. Weird. Yeah, so he got the the last one last year, the first one this year. He also became the first major league catcher to be behind the plate for consecutive no-hitters for different teams. <laughs> That's a tough one. Yeah, so he caught, uh, obviously, Musgrave for the Padres. And then last year, he caught uh, for the Chicago Cubs and Alec Mills, his no-hitter. That's amazing. Yeah, there have been 10 other times when a starting catcher caught consecutive no-hitters, but they were all when he was on the same team. So the last catcher to catch back-to-back no-hitters was Ryan Hannigan when Homer Bailey threw two no-hitters for the Cincinnati Reds. The first one was in 2012, and then he did it again in 2013, which is weird to have the same battery for no-hitters, but they weren't really back-to-back. And uh, the Dodgers were the last major league team responsible for consecutive no-hitters. 2014, A.J. Ellis uh, was there for Kershaw. And then uh, after that, uh, about a month later, Drew Butera caught Josh Beckett's no-hitter against the Phillies. I know we were talking about Homer Bailey. We were not aware that he threw a no-hitter in back-to-back seasons. Yeah, you don't. when I, when I think of dominance... I don't think of Homer Bailey. He's a, don't get me wrong. Good pitcher. Really good pitcher. But I don't think of Homer Bailey as a guy that threw two no-hitters. Yeah. I mean, Mike Fires has thrown two no-hitters. Another guy that's really just an average pitcher. Um, so I wanted to ask your opinion on this. This is a hot baseball topic. And uh, if if there is one thing that we know listeners do, it's they, they come to a baseball history podcast to get hot takes on current baseball <laughs> topics. So, so the Mets are teasing that they are going to return to wearing black jerseys. What are your thoughts on the Mets black jerseys? I mean, I'm used to the Mets looking the way they, you know, currently their uniforms, and it's been that way for a while, colors and everything like that. But if they're going for more of a Raiders bad guy kind of thing, I think that's all right. Um, If they're just trying to sell more jerseys, I think that's all right too. So remember, I mean, it was in the 2000 when the Mets and the Yankees but we remember when that, I mean, that's when they were wearing the, the their black jerseys. This is my hot take. I hate them. I freaking hate them. <laughs> I love that the Mets, as we've covered, they've got Dodger blue. They've got giant orange uh, as a homage to the two teams that had left New York before, you know, being awarded the expansion team uh, of the Metropolitans. But I just I don't like them. I'm, the A's had a black uniform at one point and it was just not cool. Teams just have way too many uniforms as it is, but I do not dig the black Mets uniforms. I, I don't have that sort of opinion on it, but uh, I see you're very passionate, as you are, about uniforms. <laughs> I am very passionate about these black Mets uniforms. All right, so this uh, show is debuting on April 13th. I've got some debuts, but I do want to mention one thing. Uh, so This is the anniversary of the passing of a player that we've talked about many times. In fact, we, we did a whole episode on him. Mark Fidrich passed away today in 2009. If you have not listened to that episode, please do go back. That was probably around episode 30-ish. I don't know, somewhere around there. We talked about the bird, and it was uh, it was a fun one. He was an interesting, fun dude. He would have been a guy I could see maybe doing some like uh, studio work for the Tigers or, or, or somebody where he would be very interesting if he were still around. All right, so let's get to a couple of uh, couple of debuts, players that made their debut today throughout history. Let's start all the way back in 1926 when one of our favorite players of all time, Cuckoo Christensen, made his debut oh. for the uh, Cincinnati Redlegs. They were just the Reds at that point. But. Yes, uh, well, good old Cuckoo. Good old Cuckoo. Uh, full name Walter Niels Christensen. Uh, he was also nicknamed C-Cap. Okay. Not CPAP, CCAP. I don't know what that is. Now, I do have the origin of Cuckoo. This was, uh, this was bestowed upon him after he would entertain his teammates by doing somersaults in the outfield before catching fly balls during batting practice. So <laughs> we called him Cuckoo Christensen. 
let's see, he only played two years in the big leagues, both at Cincinnati. Uh, utility outfielder. Ended up with, uh, well, he had a pretty good rookie season. He hit in, in 114 games. He slashed 350, 426, 438 for an OPS plus of 136. Led the league in on-base percentage. Wow. But then he only played in 57 games the next year and didn't quite live up to that. And then that was that was it. Cuckoo Christensen, hadn't heard about him. Uh, next guy I have heard about, 1954, Mr. Hank Aaron makes his debut. In Major hey, League I'm going to talk a little bit about Hank later. I can imagine why, knowing what your topic is. But uh, <laughs> Hank Aaron, of course, Hall of Famer, 25-time All-Star. That is impressive. Wow. Now, some of those were, I believe he was involved in one or two of uh, the times when they played two games a year, but still 25 times. That's a lot. Uh, won a World Series, three gold gloves, two batting titles. Of course, for a very long time, held the home run, uh, career home run mark, passing Babe Ruth. Still is the all-time leader in RBIs and total bases. Obviously, a consummate Hall of Famer. And uh, unfortunately, just passed away recently. But uh, Hammer and Hank Aaron made his debut today. Arguably the greatest power hitter of all time. So I do want to call out one of our one of our friends on another podcast. And, and I told him I was going to call him out because Andy from the Baseball Beyond Betting Average podcast called Henry Aaron a, a stat compiler on a recent episode. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I know he has since uh, laughed at himself for doing that because uh, he obviously didn't, he didn't mean that. (laughs) But uh, I do did want to, you know, just call him out in this forum, say, hey, Uh, Henry Aaron obviously uh, (laughs) had one of the best careers in the the history of Major League Baseball. So he made his debut today. Also in, uh, let's see, 1962, Another guy that we've had an entire episode on, Bob Euchre, made his debut. Well, see, that's a big one right there. Yeah, Mr. Baseball came up with the uh, Milwaukee Braves. We've talked a lot about Mr. Uh, Mr. Euchre and, and some of his teammates played with the Cardinals, where he and Bob Gibson were good friends, and then Philadelphia and Atlanta. But mainly it's his off-field stuff, his acting, his announcing, his just being generally hilarious. I think we mentioned he leads... All baseball players for uh, Tonight Show appearances, which we played some of. Euchre, in his career, so he ended up playing for six years. In his career, he hit 14 home runs. Three of them were off Hall of Fame pitchers, though. Oh, wow. He torched Gaylord Perry, Sandy Koufax, and Fergie Jenkins for what I'm sure were some prestigious blasts. Yeah. Also, Bob (laughs) Euchre. Member of the WWE Hall of Fame. Well, that's right. Uh, I remember seeing him get choked by Andre the Giant. <laughs> uh, and then our final debut this year, uh, th- today, I excuse me, is in 1967. And unfortunately, this is another Hall of Famer that just passed away recently. Tom Seaver made his debut. Uh, the great Tom Seaver. Came up with the Mets, spent uh, most of his career, 12 of his 20 years, was with the New York Mets. Led the league in strikeouts five times, led the league in wins three times. Uh, just uh, a, a great uh, a great player. Won a Cy Young Award three times, Rookie of the Year. A member of that 67 World Series team and was an all-star 12 years out of his 20 in the league. Tom Terrific or the franchise? Tom Seaver. All right. So I uh, I asked you a trivia question last week. We opened it up to all of our listeners, and uh, you've had some time to think about it. So the trivia question from last week was, who was the last batter to hit a World Series home run in three different decades? Yeah. So, uh, again, that's a... It's a tough one because you not only have to have some longevity to play in three different decades. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You had to play on three good teams in three different decades, and you needed to have some power to be able to hit a home run in a World Series game in three different decades. Uh, We did get get some responses. We got a couple of correct responses. Uh, As always, our buddies Chris and his father came up with it. No spreadsheet, they said this time. Uh, we've got a couple of our other 
uh, listeners that sent in several answers of which uh, they did nail this. And uh, we did get one uh, answer of Spike Owen, which uh, we're just going to automatically, we're going to dismiss anything. I'm going to tell you this. I am never going to ask you a trivia question where Spike Owen is the answer. Don't, 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 don't. Don't do it. So, Mark, were you able to come up with uh, with anybody? I don't like to look these up. I, I like to just kind of bat them around. And I have a guess, but I don't think it's right. All right. Well, I was going to guess Paul Molitor. Oh, that's a really good guess. That's a good guess, but no. Okay. Uh, the answer is Matt Williams, the big oh. Marine, despite the fact yeah. of having never served in the armed services. Right. So 1989, he was on that Giants team that was swept by the boys, by the way. Uh, 1997, he was on Cleveland when uh, that team lost to the Marlins. And then in uh, 2001... He was on the D-backs, and uh, he had a home run. Every single one of those. It's pretty impressive. Wow. That's been good for a long time. Yeah, so in the World Series, he had 68 at-bats over his career. He played 18 games. Slash 279, 338, 456, which uh, that's uh, that's pretty good. And uh, he hit uh, only three home runs, but uh, they were all in different decades. So Matt Williams. Three other guys had done it. A couple of Yankees, Yogi Berra and Joe DiMaggio, because they played forever. They were on good Yankees teams. They did it. Another one that is, when you think about it, you go, oh, that's a great answer. Eddie Murray is the fourth one to do it. 79 with the Orioles, 83 again with the Orioles. And then he uh, was on that 1995 Cleveland team. Okay. All right. I, I feel like that question was was harder well, I guess it was easier than the week before when we didn't get any right answers, but harder than the week before that when we got like a thousand correct answers. So I feel like I'm, I'm tuning in pretty good here with the, with how hard these are. I don't, I'm not sure about this one, though. So we've talked about the 1926 World Series where Babe Ruth was inexplicably thrown out trying to steal second base to end the World Series. That was the final <laughs> out. Who was the last Hall of Famer? to make the final out of a World Series. Wow. I have to start just going through different World Series, man, because it could be absolutely anyone. Well, it, technically, it could only be the couple hundred people that are in the Hall of Fame, but yes. <laughs> it, like Spike you know Owen. what I meant, It was pal. not Spike Owen. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, Spike's going to call in someday. I would I'd love like, Will you guys shut up? We're big Spike Owen fans. It's just, I can't, I'm not going to ask you a trivia question about him other than... <laughs> Who was the only Mariners captain? Uh, all right. So think about that. Let us know if you've got answers. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. We are at Two Strike Noise. That is at T-W-O Strike Noise. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can uh, we can get some people figure that one out. Now let's let the grounds crew come out and do their stuff. And Mark, let's head into our main topic today. And you were going to talk about pitching. Not in general, yeah. but a, a story about somebody throwing a baseball. I, uh, I started thinking back, um, back when I was a kid, my school library had a book called, uh, crazy baseball stories or something like that. And it had in it, you know, Merkel's blunder and it, um, Pete gray and stuff like that. Well, it also had a chapter called happy Harvey Haddocks. And, uh, it just popped into my head the other day and I thought, you know what, maybe we should talk about Harvey Haddocks. Harvey Haddocks was uh, a pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He uh, had a pretty good career. Actually, he was a pretty good pitcher. And there was just one very special day in his career that uh, I'm going to talk about mostly here. Harvey woke up in uh, in the morning and had a, he had been fighting a cold and it was worse than ever. And he was supposed to he was supposed to pitch the game that night. You know, the, the weather was crummy and and it was it was just not good. Bob Skinner said uh, Harvey was as sick as a dog, but before the game he didn't even say anything to our manager. For some reason, he was determined to start that day. So, you know, just like all the old-time players we talk about, eh, I got a cold, eh, I got my arm cut off, I'm just going in the game, I don't care. Haddock's uh, headed to the ballpark. On the way, he did grab his usual dinner of a burger and a milkshake. So, you know, these guys took good care of themselves. <laughs> did, he, did he smoke a cigar after that on his way to the park? Oh, oh, oh I'll get to that. Actually, since you asked, I'll just go ahead and tell you, he was a three-pack-a-day smoker. <laughs> and uh, he smoked a cigarette between innings when he was pitching. 
just always a new cigarette in between innings. Can you imagine that now? <laughs> well, I mean, Jim Leland used to sneak those in, and and yeah. uh, Earl Weaver had that. We've covered his uniform had that special pocket sewn in the inside so he could keep a pack of cigarettes with him on the bench. <laughs> yes, yeah. Harvey Haddix was a pretty pretty solid smoker. He was good at it, which is a bad thing. So this game that, that Harvey Haddix was going to pitch in was the start of a three-game series between the Pirates and the then Milwaukee Braves. And the Braves were a really good team. They'd been in the previous two World Series. They had some pretty good players. Lou Bordet and Warren Spahn anchored their rotation. So not so bad there. And uh, in their batting order, let's see, there was third baseman Eddie Matthews. Heard of who, him, you yeah. And a good. And some guy named Hank Aaron. Yeah, heard of him. Uh, 20, 25 years old, and uh, he hit three fifty five that year with 39 home runs. So he, he was having a good year. He was compiling uh, stats is what he was doing. That's what he was compiling. <laughs> the uh, cleanup hitter, Joe Adcock, um, you know, he was kind of overshadowed, overshadowed by the two Hall of Fame teammates, but uh, it was a really good lineup. Uh, Vernon Law. Vernon Law, I who we him. spoke of before. Yes. I'm quoting him. He said, I remember that Hank Aaron came into that series hitting over 450. They were the last team you wanted to face at that time. So, you know, we're talking about Hank Aaron in his prime, Eddie Matthews, so on like that. And then with the Pirates, for whatever reason, they were missing three big staples in their lineup. Uh, Dick Grote, who, who was the MVP in the National League in 1960. He was in a big slump, and so they benched him for a while. There was a right fielder named Roberto Clemente. And yeah, yeah, he was 24 years old and he was out with a sore shoulder and first baseman Dick Stewart, who uh, would actually lead the pirates in home runs and batting average that year. He had the day off. So Harvey Haddix gets to go in with a, a makeshift lineup backing him. Now here's the funny thing. This, they get out, they start the game and I'm going to jump to the ninth inning because is this another 33 inning job? No, it's not. Okay. What happened was both of the pitchers took shutouts into the ninth inning. Mr. Haddix had not allowed a hit or a walk or a run or anything. He had a perfect game through nine. He's got this perfect game going. It is going all over the broadcast. Anybody that has a radio is listening to this because it's very exciting. There had only been six perfect games prior to then. He pitched pitch number 78. That's how many pitches it took him to do this. Pitch number 78 of the game, he, he, just, he had perfect control. He said himself, I could have put a cup on either corner of the plate and hit it. Completely in control. So he pitches a perfect, no hit, no run, nine-inning game. And the Pirates swarm out of their dugout. They congratulate their pitcher. It's awesome. You know, uh, Bill Mazeroski, who uh, was part of that team, said, uh, people ask me all the time what the most memorable game I've ever played in was. And he said, half the time, I tell him it was game seven of the 60 series where he hit the home run. The other half of the time, I tell them it was the night Harvey Haddix threw the finest game in the history of baseball. Then they'll look at me and say, Harvey who? Exactly. The game's not over. The scoreboard's 0-0. They're going to have to go on. So they go into bonus panels. Top of the 10th inning. Now, the runner's starting on second? Or No, they didn't have that stupid rule back then. Okay. Just I don't have an opinion on that dumb rule at all. <laughs> you, don't, you don't care about <laughs> Mets black uniforms, but the, the runner on second, the ghost runner. Not a, not a fan, yeah. Don Hope gets a single on top of the 10th. And the manager, Fred Haney, of, the, of Milwaukee, decides he's going to go out and see if uh, Burdett's okay. And as he got out there, Burdett just completely snapped at him. I'm not tired. Okay. Haddix, check this out. He only needed 12 pitcher, pitches to retire the Braves in the 10th and 11th innings. So he was just buzzing through these guys. Maybe take a pitch, guys. You run that pitch total up. Yeah, no kidding. It was only 78 in the ninth inning. They came out to check on him, check on Harvey, and he said, and I quote, your horse is getting tired out here. So he's starting to he's starting to feel it, understandably so. So Pittsburgh stranded a runner in the top of the 13th, and it was the game was only approaching its third hour, by the way. You would think a game like this is in five hours, right? Well, today it would probably be tomorrow already. Yeah. Yeah. So the home half started, and Felix Mantilla, on a 1-2 count, hit a high-bouncing ball to third. Don Hoke fielded it and chucked it to first base and missed the first baseman, causing an error. 
The runner was safe and the perfect game had ended. Big mistake, but uh, it wasn't even a tough play. He said that he, he makes that play nine out of 10 times, but that was the one that didn't happen. So no more perfect game. So the next hitter, Eddie Matthews, get this, he bunts. He bunts Mantilla to second. Hank Aaron comes up. Now, what do you do in this situation? You walk Hank Aaron. That's exactly what they did. <laughs> Joe Adcock steps up first pitch, slider outside the second pitch. He left it up high, and boom, Adcock hits a no-doubt home run, clears everything. They score the two runs, and that is the game. Harvey Haddock's over 12 innings of perfect ball suddenly finds himself the loser of the entire ball game. No perfect game, no no-hitter, no shutout, no win. Now, here's a, as a side note, this is kind of weird. Um, the ball that Adcock hit, landed between the outfield fence and another fence that was behind it. Hank Aaron saw it hit the second fence, but he did not know or realize it had carried over the first. So instead of rounding all the bases, he decided, oh, the game's over. It's a ground rule double. So after he hits second base, he just turns around and jogs towards the dugout. And this is after Mentia crosses the plate, fortunately for them. Okay. They're yelling from the dugout, at Aaron, yelling at Aaron to turn back, turn back. But Adcock had already touched third, thus passing Hank Aaron, Adcock was out, and his home run was turned into a double. So the final score was not two to nothing; it was one to nothing. The, the, it, well, it's especially weird because just remember, in the first week of the season here in Colorado, the Dodgers ran into something similar where the the uh, it was a home run, and the fan caught it nonchalantly, and so they weren't sure if it was a home run. So the runner turned around. I think it was uh, what's his name, the the third baseman. Uh, Justin Turner turned Justin around Turner, and, yeah. and went past. I think it was Cody Bellinger that hit the home run. So it ended up just being a, a an out <laughs> or a double. Yes. Yeah, it was. It was that, that's kind of weird, weird that it just happened because that stuff never happens. So uh, after the game, the uh, obviously the visitors clubhouse was deathly quiet. And newspaper um, men crowding in asking Haddock's questions. He interrupts them in the middle of their questions and he says, what inning did it end finally? He didn't even know. He just went out and pitched. He was going to pitch till they won or lost. Very interesting. It was 13, Harvey, by the way. Uh, there were three times that the Pirates actually came close to scoring the winning run. In the third inning, error by Don Hoke negated three consecutive singles. Or a running, I'm sorry, a running error by Don Hoke negated three consecutive singles. He got caught off base and did not score in the bottom of the ninth. Bill Verdon, after uh, reaching base on a one-out hit, Advanced the third on Rocky Nelson's single. Bob Skinner rounded back to the pitcher to end the threat in the 10th inning. Now the Pirates uh, still scoreless in the 11th. Dick Stewart comes up and flies out to center fielder Andy Pathco. A uh, ball that came within just a few feet of being a two-run home run. They had hits in the 11th, 12th, and 13th and failed to score for Mr. Haddock. So it was, a, it was not just an amazingly pitched game. It had to have been tough to get all these hits and not score runs. Very impressive. Um, and then the, this is my sad inning. You know, they always sad inning. Uh, in 91, the Haddixes received a phone call from a reporter who told them that Major League Baseball had convened a committee on statistical accuracy and altered the definition of a no-hitter to a game in which a pitcher or pitchers complete a game of nine innings or more without allowing a hit. So he had thrown more perfect than that but he hadn't completed the game. And that's the key right there. It says pitcher or pitchers complete a game of nine innings or more without allowing it. They didn't complete the game. It was a walk-off. His, his whole performance was getting wiped off of the whole record of perfect games. He does not get credit for a perfect game, even though he threw perfect for 12 innings. She said she got off the phone and she was so angry. But when she told Mr. Haddix that his uh, perfect game wasn't going to count anymore, he simply said, it's okay. I know what I did. Harvey passed away in 1994. 1994, because those three packs a day finally got him. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, so uh, Harvey Haddix, I, I was reading here about that perfect game, and believe it or not, uh, the Braves had been stealing signs from uh, yes. from, from Harvey's catcher, Smokey Burgess, because yes. he had been uh, he'd been flashing them too high up instead of instead of you know down really between his legs and they were repositioning a towel to signal for a fastball or a breaking ball but still yes. couldn't hit him yeah uh, it's pretty amazing so they were they knew what pitch was coming and they couldn't come near it 
Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not upset about the the ruling of uh, you have to win the game. I'm I'm no, okay. I, I understand that. Yeah, me too. It uh, it just was when they made that rule, a lot of people quote unquote lost their no hitters and perfect games or whatever. Um, but I understand that. You know, it has to be at least nine innings of perfect ball for the victory. And that's just the way it is. Uh, he had some good years, 14 years in the big leagues, led the league in shutouts in just his second year and compiled a 136 and 113 mark, uh, led the league in whip in 1959. That's not bad. Of course, bad. as you mentioned, won the World Series in 1960 when Mazeroski hit the, uh, the walk-off. Uh, Harvey Haddix was the winner of that game. Oh, yeah. I thought I read that, and I forgot. Thanks for picking me up on that one, Jeff. Yeah, he had a, he had a good series. He went 2-0, 2.45 ERA, seven and a third innings, uh, only gave up two home, run, or two home runs, uh, two earned runs, and struck out six and walked two. Not bad. Now we've talked about uh, the losing and the winning pitcher in that game, specifically. That's a good point. We, we, uh, well, we pretty much talk about everything, and uh, that's definitely something we've hit upon. <laughs> All right, so Harvey Haddix, I see his nickname's Kitten. Yes, uh, that was because he had a resemblance to another pitcher on Pittsburgh, and he was called like the cat. Yep. So when Haddix came along, uh, he was the kitten. That's just I just like our boy last week, Rookie Davis. Yes. You know, if 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 this the cat retires, does he become the cat then instead of kitten or what? Yeah, I think that gets bestowed upon you. All right, Mark. So thank you very much for uh, telling us about Harvey Haddix. It is uh, now the uh, final segment of our show that uh, let's jump into. That is the segment that we like to call, and so we do. Wax packs throws. Gotta pull a wax pack hero. You know, Jeff, I never tire of that song. Never. Oh, well, uh, it is available on uh, iTunes uh, and Spotify and everywhere that you get your made-up music. Yeah, That's it's, right. It's not really. This is it. This is this is very exclusive, so you have to listen here. <laughs> it's the only place you can hear it, folks, right yeah, here. Right here. All right, Mark, uh, it's time for Wax Packs Heroes, where we both open up a pack from the uh, junk wax era, and uh, we'll take them. We will add up the war for the year that the cards are of using baseball reference couple of extra rules if you are not familiar with them if uh, the player is sporting a mustache you're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war if it's a really good mustache you're going to get two tenths of a point of war wearing real stirrups that we can see that's an extra tenth of a point of war but if we catch anybody wearing those two and ones that's a minus tenth of a point of war if you're wearing glasses of any sort sunglasses flip downs those Reading glasses, I don't care, bifocals. Uh, it's an extra tenth of a point. If you are wearing your uh, sweatbands and they happen to have a caricature of you, uh, your jersey number, which would not be a caricature, just your jersey number, or a, a corporate logo, like say a McDonald's logo that has come up before, you're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war. And if you have since been named to the Hall of Fame, you're going to get a whole extra point of war. So, Mark, you're blowing me away. In our race to 20 wins, you are up 18 wins to my 10. So I have got to really uh, play some defense and get some good pitching here to hopefully come back. Well, you know what? I, I know how good of a player you are, and I'm not counting you out, my friend. Yes. <laughs> Let's see if I can really turn it up here in this skill-based game. All right, so we've got a couple of singles packs. Uh, usually we both have the same pack. We got a couple of singles today that I'm going to let you choose which one you want. I have got a 1993 Series 1 Tops Stadium Club, or I've got a pack of 1988 Fleer. Oh, the 88. That's the ones with the red, white, and blue. Uh, I believe you're right. We'll see when we open them. Because 87 was the blue. Um, you know what? I was going to go with the Stadium Club, but the 88 is uh, one of my favorites. So I'm going to go with the, the 88 Fleer. Okay, now the the stadium club has 14 cards and the Fleer has 15. So uh, I'm going to need you to pick a number between 1 and 15, and we are going to remove that card from your pack. Okay. So this is this is um, a whole new thing I, that I literally just came up on the with on the fly here, but this is uh, this is very dramatic. 
too stressful, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with card number one. Card number one. All right. So I'm going to have you go first so that I can uh, play the home team as usual. So I, the card that is underneath this Texas Ranger sticker, you are going to lose. They're, they're going to be of no value. This might hurt you. Yeah. Uh, it's Padres pitcher Keith Comstock. It's not going to hurt you. Ooh. Uh, but Ooh. <laughs> now he, he actually does have a, a good, good mustache there. Yeah, I remember Comstock. As back as soon as you said his name, I was like, "Hey, I get the mustache point." Yeah, so let's see, Keith Comstock, who was a Mariner at one point, he played for six years. In uh, what year did I say this was? Nineteen eighty-eight. In nineteen eighty-eight, he only appeared in seven games and eight innings with no record, and uh, that would have equated to a WAR of minus point two. So you would have been at minus point one. Um, Good start for me. Yeah. Now, I do want to mention Keith Comstock has one of the greatest baseball cards of all time when he, he was sure with does. the Las Vegas Stars, who were the AAA club for the Padres at one point, where he is, uh, it's kind of a cup check uh, with a line <laughs> drive. I mean, it's staged, but uh, it's a great card. But this one is is not. All right. So let's get right into your actual cards that count. First, we've got uh, a guy that is uh, nicknamed Mercedes. Even though I think we call him Zinger, it's uh, outfielder, uh, somewhat time first baseman for the Red Sox, Todd Benzinger. Yeah, I remember him being a pretty good, pretty good hitter. Yeah, he was on that 90 uh, Reds team as well that beat the A's in the World Series. That's right. But uh, Mercedes in 88, it was the second year in the league. He was with the Red Sox, uh, ended up with an OPS plus of 96. And that will equate to a war of minus 0.1. And, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, I'm going the wrong direction. There's, 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 well, it's it's essentially what you would have gotten from the Keith Comstock card, but there is a, <laughs> yeah. nothing on that that is going to help you out. All right, your next card is, wow, this is an action pose from spring training. It's catcher for the New York Mets, Barry Lyons. Lyons. Did he hit left-handed? Uh, let's see, Barry Lyons, uh, bats right, throws right. Never mind, then. Let's see, Barry Lyons, over seven years in the big leagues. All of it is a, is a number two guy. Uh, 70 OPS plus, but you're probably not expecting much from that. And a war of a minus 0.2. Okay, I got to get one player that goes to the positive here. Yeah, nothing, nothing on this card is going to help you out either. So uh, Barry Lyons not helping you out. Yeah, nice. All right, well, here's a good card. And I believe this card would probably get you money if we were using uh, using our Beckett's scoring system. But you're going to get definite war out of him. It, it's Donnie Baseball, Don Mattingly. Nice. Oh, yeah, I remember this card. Donnie Baseball in 1988. This was when he still had Ricky batting leadoff for him. Not a bad right. season. Uh, <laughs> slashed 311, 353, 462 for a 128 OPS plus. And that equates to a war of 3.6. He has got in this card that uh, mustache that he always had, and he also has stirrups. So that will get you a plus 3.9. Nice. Of course, Donnie Baseball is going to have real stirrups. Uh, Well, you know what? Uh, He does in this, but I think there is a good deal of pictures with him sporting the two and ones. Hmm. Yeah, but you got lucky here. All right, next we've got outfielder for the Pirates. It's John Cangelosi. I remember him being a lefty, but, I mean, he was kind of a journeyman, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, he played for a good deal of teams. 13 years in the big leagues, though. Uh, Not bad. Played uh, pretty much a utility outfielder. In uh, 88, he was with the Bucks. ended up with a 93 OPS+. Plus. 1988, so that's a war of a positive .9. Uh, nothing on the card's going to get you anything else, but that'll bring you up to 4.5, which is a good yeah. uh, good total after your real slow start. All right, your next uh, card is a uh, very well-staged card in Fenway Park. It's Twins pitcher Keith Atherton. Keith Atherton. So Keith Atherton, maybe you'll remember that name. He was on the 87 World Series team for the Twins, but he also came up with the A's. Yeah, I remember the name, um, but I'm not placing him anywhere. Yeah, he was uh, he was a reliever for sure. 1988 in Minnesota, actually had a pretty decent year that year. 3.41 ERA out of the bullpen. This equates to a pitcher's WAR of 1.2, but 
Plus, he's got a mustache and he's got real stirrups. Sweet. So that's a 1.4 for Mr. Atherton. Oh, Keith. All right, next, uh, we have got a shortstop with a great jerry curl for the Phillies that is not Juan Samuel. It's Steve Jeltz. Oh, wow. I thought you were going for Samuel for sure. Yeah, so Steve uh, Steve always had a good uh, good jerry curl. He's got a good, good mustache here, too. Not a not a uh, two-pointer, two-tenths of a pointer, yeah. but a, a good one. Uh, Philly's not a great year uh, in 1988. He was a shortstop. Uh, looks like he was their starting shortstop. He appeared in 148 games uh, and uh, compiled an OPS plus of 55. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's a war for the season of minus point one. He does have a mustache, so that'll just be a minus point nine. <laughs> great card, great card. Yeah, you're, you've uh, you've had better packs here. He is wearing a nacho helmet though, versus a, a flap or a two flapper. So that's uh, do I pretty... get any extra points because he was born in Paris? Yeah, I was just gonna say one of the few players that has been born in France. He he was uh, he and Mike Blowers. Remember, Blowers was born in Germany because he was in a military family as well. Uh, next, for the Cleveland team, it is Greg Swindell. We've pulled his card a couple of times before. Swindell, solid pitcher for the Indians. So Greg Swindell uh, was on that 2001 World Series team with the Diamondbacks. We talked about that earlier uh, today in Cleveland, 18-14. Uh, and 14. So a lot of decisions, 3.2 ERA, not too shabby there, ERA plus of 128. And that equates to a war of 5.9. Atta boy, Swindell. That is one of the highest uh, single season war numbers we've seen from a pitcher. Uh, For sure. Maybe since we went to this different format, but yeah, that's uh, that's very good. Next, we've got a uh, first baseman for the Cincinnati Reds, Nick Saski. Now, did they call him the assassin? Because they better have. Not that I'm aware of, but it makes total sense to me. I feel like we've said that before. No, no nickname. How is Nick Asaski not the assassin? That's just, <laughs> that's that's poor work by the Reds uh, and his yeah. teammates. Uh, 1988, looked like he was their starting first baseman most of the year. Ended up with an OPS plus of 108 and a war of 1.1. He does have real stirrups on there, so the assassin is going to get you a positive 1.2. There's a terrible tragedy about Nick Asaski, in fact. He was actually really becoming quite a good hitter and overall very good ball player, and he developed vertigo, very bad vertigo from an ear infection, and he couldn't play at all. He was done. Too bad for the assassin. Maybe he just didn't have enough time to get the nickname. He wasn't up long enough. All right, next infielder for the uh, Toronto Blue Jays, it's Manny Lee. Manny Lee. This isn't Manuel Lee, right? I remember somebody was Manuel Lee and they... Manuel would have been like, isn't he a manager? Or I don't well, know. no, I think this is it because he in Baseball Reference it says Manuel Lee and then nicknames oh. Manny. Okay, I think this. I think he ended up going by Manuel near the end of his career, but in '88 he was only 23 years old. Uh, okay, for a utility infielder, ended up with an OPS plus of 96. Uh, his defense. Helped him out, though. Ends up with a war of 1.8, and he's got a mustache. So that's 1.9. That works. All right, next is pitcher for the Houston Astros, Bob Nepper. Oh, man, one of my all-time favorite pitchers. He's a very slow curveball kind of guy, uh, very much a Jamie Moyer style. Uh, Let's see. So in 1987, he led the league in losses with 17. And then in 1988, (laughs) he bounced back and went 14-5. and Wow. So that's uh, that is a real bounce back season. Let's see. That equals a war of 2.2. He does have real stirrups on there, too. So that's going to be a 2.3. That'll bring your total up to 16.3. Well, uh, we've just discovered uh, that Bob Nepper is a uh, an awful, awful <laughs> uh, person uh, off the off the field. So we're going to go ahead and we're just going to skip right on to the next person. <laughs> Jeez. Screw you, Bob Nepper. Uh, next, Steve Lyons. Uh, oh, man. He of the pants dropping episode. Mr. Uh, Mr. I got to get this dirt out of my pants. 
Let's see, Steve Lyons, I think we've covered him before. Psycho, he was in the league for nine years, bounced around to a couple of different teams. In 88, he was with the White Sox. And actually, wow, he played just about every position other than left field and pitcher. Appeared in 146 games. Uh, ended wow. up with a 92 OPS plus, very versatile. And that is a war of 1.4. But nothing I'll else on it. the card is going to get you anything else. But yeah. Here's here's a question for uh, about uh, Steve Lyons. Can you tell me where he was born? Well, I can because I'm staring at his... Uh... <laughs> Tacoma, Washington. Thank you very much. So uh, I, I did not know this. Steve Lyons published a book called Psychoanalysts. Psycho being the main part oh, there. That's his it. nickname. With a foreword by Stephen King. <laughs> well, I know Stephen King's a baseball fan. Yeah, Oh, yeah. Big Red Sox fan. It's about his personal observation stories about baseball. I would read that 100%. That's cool. I like to read yes. baseball books anyway. All right. Moving on. Next, uh, this is a guy that we have really come around on in the show since we've found out more about him. Rather than being just one of my least favorite uh, baseball announcers there is, but he was a great pitcher here with the Cubs. A lot of red hair. It's Rick Sutcliffe. Sure. I remember him being quite durable, if I remember right. Like he pitched, he pitched for quite a while. Yeah, well, uh, we've we've talked about him many times before and his uh, his durability. And uh, 1988 was, uh, let's see, we're a little bit removed here from when he was traded and had that incredible year. 1988, he went 13 and 14 with a 3.86 ERA. That um, equates to a 94 ERA plus, so a little bit below average. But uh, that will equal a war of 3.4. Now, he's got a, a good beard mustache going on there but he also has two and ones so ah. we're just going to give you uh the 3.4 definitely a workhorse he uh, pitched for 18 years in the big leagues compiling almost 2700 innings yep and uh, we've talked about his cy young and some of his other things that uh, have made us fans of the player not so much the announcer all right your yeah. second to last card catcher for the brewers Br bill schroeder Oh, that's the uh, guy that plays the piano on Peanuts. Oh, I thought this was the guy with the uh, with the cat in the box. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Uh, Bill Schroeder. I don't believe we've ever pulled a Bill Schroeder card before. Oh, no, that guy. Uh, eight years. Split it to mainly with Milwaukee. Six years in Milwaukee. Two with the Angels at the end of his career. In 88, he was a backup catcher for his entire career, it looks like. Uh, 39 OPS plus, which... Again, this he's a backup catcher. You're not looking for a lot of offense. That's a minus 0.3 war. And uh, nothing on this card, though, is going to help you out. So that's just a minus 0.3. Doggone it. All right. And your final card is a stalwart of the Atlanta pitching staff at this point. It is pitcher Marty Clary. <laughs> uh, you know, I was thinking you were going to go to Glavin or Smoltz. This is 88. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess not. <laughs> Marty, Marty Clary, who, uh, to his credit, did not even actually appear in the big leagues in 1988. So, uh, But he does have a mustache going on there. So Marty actually did you some good there. And you got a, a plus 0.1 to bring you to 20.9 war for the pack. I think that's a very, very good haul for that one. It's good, but it's catchable. We'll see. All right, so I am going to be opening this 1993 Stadium One or Stadium Club from Tops. These cards are, I guarantee you, all stick together because they are high gloss, and that's what happens after 30 years. All right, what, so what year is it, Jeff? Uh, 1993. 93, right on. All right, so of course they're pretty. Uh, Pretty cards, nice pictures. Let's see who we can get. First, we have got pitcher for the Bucks. I remember him from Colorado. I definitely remember him from Atlanta when I was there. It's Denny Nagel. Oh, yeah, I remember Denny Nagel. So Denny Nagel was a member of the uh, 2000 New York Yankees and won the World Series there. Two-time All-Star as well. Uh, let's see, in 1993, it was only his third year in the big leagues, went three and five in 50 games it's an era plus of 76 and that equates to a war of minus 0.5 denny nice uh come you on know, it's too bad you didn't get the uh, 97 pack where he uh 
finished third in the Cy Young voting, was an all-star in one twenty games. Bummer for you. Yeah, that's that. That sounds about right for me. Uh, let's see here. Denny uh, has got a minus point five war, and he's got two and one. So I'm going to start out at minus point six, uh, which is not uh, that's not cool. So minus point six, not a great way to start. Now this was this might be a good card for me because there's two players in this one. Uh, it is, always- yeah, well, and they're two pretty good players too. So the card is for Philly's first baseman John Crock. And this is a good-looking card. It's at Dodger Stadium. He's stretching, and Brett Butler is running past him. Ooh, a couple of good players. You're right. Yeah, so let's see what Crookie was Whether doing. That's John, I am not a crook. Yep, or Crookie the Crocker or Jake. Uh, let's see, 1993, he was with the Phillies. He was 32 years old. He was an all-star and received MVP votes. Slash 316, 430, 475 for an OPS plus of 145. And that equals a war of 4.7. Now, he's got two and ones, and he's also got uh, flip-down sunglasses. So those will cancel out. And I'll just get the 4.7. But now we got to look at Brett Butler. Absolutely one of the most outstanding defensive ball players I have ever seen. Never won a gold glove, though. He was Weird. A, yeah. So let's see. In, uh, in, in 1993, he was with the Dodgers the whole year, an OPS plus of 110. And that equals war of 1.8. I really can't tell on those stirrups. I'll just go ahead. Oh, I think they look like they're pull-ups. All right, so that'll be uh, just a 1.7 for me. Headed in the right direction. It is 5.8 after two cards. My next card is Scott Ruskin, pitcher for the Reds. No clue. I want to say it sounds familiar, but it doesn't sound familiar enough for me to remember one darn thing about him. Yeah. Let's see. Scott Ruskin uh, appeared in the big leagues for four different years. Came up with the Pirates, played for two years with Montreal, and then finished out with two with Cincinnati. 93, he appeared four games with an 18 ERA even, and that <laughs> equates to a war of minus 0.2, and he has got those uh, two and one, so that's a minus 0.3. Scott Ruskin uh, has always has long been one of my least favorite Reds pitchers of all time. There you go, and, and he's come back to haunt you. Yep. Next, we've got uh, somebody I seem to remember him having some speed. An outfielder for the Detroit Tigers, Milt Kyer. Color? C-U-Y-L-E-R. I think. Yeah, Milt Kyler. I'm just going to call him Milt for now on. Uh, He was in the big leagues for eight years. Most of it was with Detroit. In 1993, he appeared in about half the games in center for the Tigers. uh, OPS plus of 59. That equates to a 1.1 war. He has real stirrups on, though, in this picture, so I'll take that. That's a plus 1.2. Back on the positive side. Yeah, I'm at at 6.7 now total. All right, my next card is Catcher here with the Boston Red Sox. Later went on to manage the, I think he managed, well, I know he managed Kansas City. I don't think he managed the Yankees. I think he was just a bench coach there. It's Tony Pena. Tony Jalapena. Yeah, one of those, The I mean, now it's becoming a thing again about some weird catcher positions, but mm-hmm. uh, Tony Pena definitely had some uh, some strange gymnastics going on behind the plate. He'd be on his butt with a leg stretched out half the time, but he had a good gun, so he could still throw out runners. Yeah, he did. He uh, was originally an outfielder, and they saw, wow, how about that arm of his? And, and uh, he ended up being a... A uh, all-star catcher a few years. Yeah, won several gold gloves in the league for 18 years. So that's good for him. 1993, he was 36 years old in Boston. Wow, he might as well have taken uh, the piano leg up to home plate. (laughs) OPS plus of 32, uh, on base of 246, slugging 257. But uh, let's see what his defense does for that war. Not a lot, minus 1.3. Ouch. But Tony, he's a catcher, so I can see he's got real stirrups, and he's got a mustache. So that'll only be a minus 1.1. All right, next I've got a pitcher for the White Sox. It's Scott Radinsky. I remember Radinsky. It might just be from pulling so many of his common cards. Left-hander, and in this picture he looks like he's 406. His arm looks like Charlie Huff. 
<laughs> Scott Radinsky retired, or at least didn't play again in the big leagues after he was 33 years old. So he aged uh, pretty tough there. 1993, though, good year. Went eight and two out of the bullpen. Uh, ERA, that's an ERA plus of 99, and his war that year was uh, minus 0.4. So yeah, they definitely held the vulture-like tendencies against him, plus he's wearing those stupid 2-1s. That's a minus (sighs) 0.5. I wonder if if they take that into account when they're calculating war. The 2-1s are real. You know, they, they should. That should be part of the equation. It's part of ours. Yes, it is. All right, next, uh, we've talked about how we liked him when he was in the outfield with Mike Greenwell of the Red Sox. Here he is, Ellis Burks. Yeah, big Ellis Burks fan when he was playing. He was uh, one of my favorite players to watch. Pretty exciting guy. He had some good years in Boston. I remember he played in Colorado for a while. Had some good years there. I mean, he's a guy with power, so he's going to there. Uh, let's see. He is a two-time All-Star, and in 1993, he had an OPS Plus of 114, and uh, that equals a war of 2.9. Ellis Burks has uh, definitely got a mustache, but he's got some two-in-ones going on there as well, so I'll just get a plus 2.9 there. All right, next card is, wow, this guy played everywhere, if I remember correctly, for the Mariners. It seems like he played a lot like a lot of years for the Mariners too. It's Rich Amaral. Sure he did. Yeah. Rich Amaral was like a, a super, super sub, super utility guy. Let's see in, uh, he played in 10 years. Let's see. Eight of it was with Seattle. Yeah. He was there for a while and then had a couple of years with Baltimore to wrap it up. He appeared in 110 games in 1993. Not bad. He played everywhere on the infield slash 290, 343, 367. It's an OPS plus of that's an OPS plus of 92, and that equals a war of 3.2. Uh, nothing else on the card's going to help me anywhere else, but I'll, oh. take, I'll take a 3.2. Not bad for a guy that doesn't even have a real position. Yeah, he was a literally a utility guy. Yeah, I'll take it. Yep. Okay, now we get to a, another Mariner. This Mariner is uh, somebody that some people have said should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, we have learned some things recently that uh, off the field does not make us does not make him our favorite person. But it's Omar Vizquel. Yep, Omar is uh, he, he was about as as magic with the glove as anyone I've seen. You know, we've talked about it before how I think his defense was overrated. There are levels of overrated. He was still a great defensive player. He just to me was not as great as some of the others from his era. So he won eleven Gold Gloves. In 1993, he was uh, with Seattle, his final year in Seattle. Never had a great bat. Yeah, he was, he was, uh, he was really one of the, the last middle infielders that were all glove, no stick. Yeah, we used to call him Little Ofer. <laughs> Ended up with an OPS plus of 67 in 1993, but still had a war of 2.3. But, that defense gets in there. Yeah, yeah. War definitely does include defense. Uh, nothing else from the card is going to get me any value, but that brings me up to thirteen point five. So I'm 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 closing in. I've got like five or six cards left here. So do you remember? I I don't remember until I see it. I kind of reading through it here that Omar Vizquel had a feud with Jose Mesa in I, I in the two thousands. Yeah, I can't I can't recall any specifics, but I remember something about those two not liking each other. And uh, they had some kind of feud. Yeah, they were teammates, right? Yeah, they were teammates and they were actually friends. But in Omar uh, put out an autobiography and criticized Mesa's World Series performance in 1997, saying uh, Jose's eyes were vacant. Nobody was home. You could almost see right through him. And then he blew the game and the Marlins Marlins won. And uh, Mesa was understandably upset after that. And he said, essentially, he said, if I face him 10 more times, I'll hit him 10 more times. I want to kill him. <laughs> and he, wow. he did. In, in 2002, they uh, met and uh, Mesa plunked him immediately. Didn't get ejected. And then they didn't face off again until 2006. And uh, he came up in April and Mesa plunked him. <laughs> So he he made good on on most of his uh, pledge to get Omar. Uh, All right, next we've got, ah, this could get me some more. 
this guy is was a stud uh, when he was with the Braves. He was he was one of the outfielders during their runs in the 90s. Now, newscaster in Atlanta, it's Ron Gant. Ron Gant. Um, you know, every time I think of Ron Gant, I think of Kent Herbert pulling him off of first base. Yep. Ron Gant was a he was a thick little dude like he you did not want to mess with him. Was he a 30 30? Let's well, let's take a peek here. Um, he stole 30 bases, uh, 34 bases and hit 32 home runs in 1991. That's quite a year. That is pretty impressive. Wow. In 1993, appeared in 157 games, uh, came in fifth in the all star balloting. I like where this is going. Uh, slash 274, 343, 510 for an OPS plus of 127. I'm okay. sorry, 126. He hit 36 home runs, stole 26 bases. So this could be big. War of 6.5. Wow. Now that's good. He does have a mustache in this uh, picture, but I know he's got two and ones there. So I'll just take my 6.5 and be happy. Uh, that actually... Wow, you're t- you ended up at twenty point nine. I'm at twenty even right now with a couple of <laughs> oh, cards wow. left. So it really depends which way we go here. <laughs> All right, I got. Uh, let's see, I've got four cards left here, so I'm feeling good. Uh, this is a guy that I will admit looks a bit like Ricky Henderson, and he does stuff on the A's uh, pre and post game show. But uh, I remember him mainly as a Padre. It's Bip Roberts. Uh, Bip, uh, another guy that could play pretty much anywhere. And he did, yeah. He was, I remember uh, playing my version of Stratomatic, Status Pro. He was a good card because you could stick him anywhere. Yeah. Let's see. Leon Joseph Roberts, good year, good 12 year career. Played in San Diego for seven of those years. Here he is with the Reds in 1993. Ended up with only an OPS plus of 70. So not a great year. Uh, a war of minus 0.2. Bipper, come on, man. Uh, the good news is he is wearing two sweatbands, both of which have his caricature on it. Oh. Now, I know he is wearing two and ones, but I can't see them. Well, then you can't you can't take the point off if you can't see him. Yeah, he's they're pulled all the way down because he always wore those things. So I'll take that. That wipes out the minus 0.2s. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The the caricature sweatbands. I'll take it. So now I'm down to three cards. I need a little bit of help. And I got a Mariners pitcher, so that's never much of a help. <laughs> Russ Swan. I remember what Russ Swan. I think he came through the, uh, yeah, was it the San Francisco Giants organization? Uh, he came up with the Giants. He was uh, drafted by the Astros and oh. the Mariners and the Giants. So he's from Kennewick, Washington. Oh, okay. Fellow, another Washingtonian for you. In 1993, he was with the Mariners, went three and three. Doesn't look like he did a whole lot of uh, good, though. A 49 ERA plus. So <laughs> that is a war of minus 1.1. And nothing on the card is going to help you. I'm going the wrong way. I'm so close. <laughs> Jeff, a little something about Russ Swan that pertains to you. He worked as a pitching coach at Washington State University. Oh, when was that? Doesn't say a, a year. I, I don't remember him being there when I was there. All right, I got two cards left, and now I've got some work to do. I am two full points of war behind you. And uh, my second-to-last card is Sean Barry. Okay. He's here with the Expos. I remember Sean with the Expos, just from him coming through Atlanta uh, let's see. Sean in 1993 was with the Expos. His first full year, he was the starting third baseman. Uh, okay, 14 home runs, 49 ribs, 813 OPS for a 113 OPS plus, and that is a 1.7 WAR. And he's got his jersey number on a sweatband. I'll take that. So that's a 1.8. Nice. That brings me right back. I am now. Only two-tenths of a point of war behind you with Oof. one card remaining. Here it goes, ladies and gentlemen. This is what you all tuned in for yeah, right This here. is why people are here. And I'm going to tell you this. He's a Hall of Famer. Oh, man. That's pretty much it. Yeah. So I, I feel pretty confident here. It <clears> is. <throat> and it's very apropos. It's Eck. 
<laughs> he closed it out for yeah, you. Very I think nice. Dennis Eckersley did. Literally came in and closed it out for me. I mean, you know one thing. I'm going to get nicked for the two and ones. But you also know that he's got a two-tenths of a point mustache and he's a Hall of Famer. So, yeah, that, right that's there. That's the ball game. Yeah. Let's see what he did in 1993. He was still on the A's. Uh, record doesn't really matter. 4.16 ERA, not great for a closer. He closed 36, well, he had 36 saves and uh, had an ERA plus of 98. So really a very average year in 1993. That is a war of 0.7. Let's see, he will get the one point for the Hall of Fame. So that is 1.7. And then with the sock, two two tenths of a point mustache, that's only one-tenth of a point, so that's 1.8, and I have won my first one in quite a while. Congratulations, Jeff. 22.5. I ended up winning by two, te- uh, two points of war. That bumps my win total up to 11. You are still at 18, and I'll see if I can continue to stave off what seems like the inevitable. But congrats uh, all around to my guys. Uh, Orange Slices and Sunny D for everybody. There you go. My guys, you'll have nothing in like it. Yep. No no trip to Pizza Hut for you guys. All right. So that'll wrap up this uh, episode of Wax Packs Heroes. It's also going to oh, it's also going to wrap up this episode of Two Strike Noise. Uh, as always, we appreciate everybody listening. If you want to rate review us, go ahead. It's it's something to do if you're waiting for a ball game to start. Uh, if not, we just appreciate you listening every week. Uh, also, if you want to get more of us, you can find us on social media at Two Strike Noise at T W O Strike Noise on Twitter and Instagram, and you can search for us on YouTube. And uh, Mark, they can also get a hold of us electronically. Yes, if you'd like to use one of those newfangled email addresses, you can reach us at Two Strike Noise. Spell it out: T W O Strike Noise at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a two strike noise at AOL.com if you're interested or uh, prodigy.com, <laughs> any of those. Do we have, don't we have a Juno? Yeah, and we also have a MySpace page if you want to check that out. <laughs> All right, so uh, that'll do it for another episode. We appreciate it. We hope we will see everybody back again next week on another episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. 